Hi, I'm Fumiko Ichikawa. This is Service Design Show. Hi everyone, my name is Mark and welcome again to a brand new episode of the Service Design Show podcast. This show is all about helping you to do the work that makes you feel proud by designing and delivering services that have a positive impact on people and are good for business. So before we dive into the episode, I really want to take a moment to say that I hope that you had great holidays and that I'm really humbled that I can be part of your two weekly routine that you're listening to the show. For me, that's the greatest reward that I can have. And I hope to be able to bring you more inspiration next year. And for me, I was thinking about what's the essence of the show. And for me, it's really that I hope that it will help and inspire you to do work that really makes you proud stuff that you can look back upon and sort of feel proud because it made an impact on your community on people i don't know things that make you feel proud that's what i hope this show does uh, that it contributes to that and i hope that you'll stick around next year and uh, continue this journey along with me now moving into the episode the guest this time is Fumiko Ichikawa. Fumiko is the founder of a think and do studio in Japan called Republic. And in this episode, Fumiko and I will be talking about how to find a healthy balance between thinking and doing. We'll talk about the importance of building community as part of your service design process. And we'll also discuss how do you get people to take a step back and think about the root cause of a problem and not just jump straight into ideas and solutions i think this is a common challenge we all can relate to now before we jump into the talk with fumiko don't forget that i have a free training that will help you to explain service design in plain english if you want to take a look at that training, head over to servicedesignshow.com slash free course. And if you haven't done so already, I really invite you to look me up on LinkedIn, connect with me and send a message to saying that you're listening to the show. I really appreciate that. Now, the final thing before we jump into the talk with Fumiko is I need to apologize because we had some tech issues which prevented me from delivering the audio quality that you used to from the show. I hope that you're still going to enjoy the talk with Fumiko because uh, she really has some amazing insights uh, and I'll do my best to deliver the audio quality that you used to again in the next episode. So that's it for the introduction. And now let's quickly jump into the talk with Fumiko. Welcome to the show, Fumiko. Hi, Mark. Really nice to have you on. Uh, we had a chat up front, uh, and you're my second guest uh, from Japan. But for the people who don't know who you are, could you give us uh, a little bit uh, background about your story and what you currently do? Sure. Uh, my name is Fumiko, and I run a company called Republic uh, together with two other directors here. We have an office in Tokyo and uh, Fukuoka, which are two um, big cities here in Japan. Okay. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. The company has been running for five years. But before that, I worked for a telecom company in different countries and then became freelance uh, and then was working for another company. Then the、uh, big earthquake happened in Japan. You、mm. might have remembered. And that really gave me、um, sort of like a turning point where I thought, like, perhaps this job that I'm doing, which was constantly about changes and innovation, Um, mm. I hoped that that would be not just for the big companies and big cities, but also for different type of、um, size or the lifestyles that we have in different parts of the world. So, this is how we decided to sort of set up a company, and now we are here. Fumiko, the question that I ask all my guests also is Do you remember the very first time you sort of got in touch with the term service design? Well, I have been looking at some of your videos that I, you had on the YouTube, and、um, I was thinking perhaps it's about 10 to 12 years ago. Oh, really? And、um, it wasn't through conference, but it was through how other people started to refer to this new domain called service design. And perhaps you have heard a、um, company based in actually in Amsterdam,、uh, Standby. Of course, <laughs> and also、um, we have some、uh, great global design research network called Reach, which was initiated actually by Standby. And they've been referring to this fascinating domain called service design. And that's、mm. how I got to know this world. Okay, that's cool. Nice to hear that it started、uh, somewhere in the Netherlands. We, we when Standby sort of.、Uh, We started the Service Design Network chapter here in the Netherlands together with Standby and a、Great. few other studios back in 2008. So that was a good period. Fumiko,、yes. you sent me three really interesting topics. I've sent you, of course, the famous Service Design Show question starters. Yes. We're going to do an interview, Jess. You said it's going to be hard, but we're going to just <laughs>、okay. try it out and see how it goes. Yes. Are you ready to start? Yes. All right. Let's, I'm going to pick your first topic. Yes. Drumroll, please. Let's see if we can see it. It's Praxis. All right. So I will choose how can we. All right. So, what's the, what kind of question? How can we in Praxis? What, does, what kind of question does that make? Yes. So, Republic is a think and do tank. Meaning that we try to think about theories and how can we actually approach different problems. Whereas、um, always the execution is where we learn more. So we have to go through this think and do, and we、mm-hmm. refer to this as being in the praxis. Meaning that we always think and try and do it by ourselves. We always have reflections from each project and then we try to do another cycle. And I think this is really, really hard. As soon as you get into the field or certain domains, once you start doing your projects, there's lots of people, lots of、um, sort of like a legacy.、Uh, different things start to be in here. It is messy. It's very, very messy. And then it takes more time than you ever expected. So the think part always gets smaller and smaller. And I realized while I had conversations with different practitioners that they hardly have a chance to think. 
And mm. I, this being a, quite a big challenge, and I hope that also other people could give us advice how to really do this praxis is a big challenge, I think, in the service design domain. And uh, it's a challenge because you get lost in the operational stuff and you don't have time to, re or you don't take time to reflect. Is that the challenge? Exactly. And also another thing is um, once you start to be involved in, let's say, a local government's projects, and then it becomes about traveling, it's about being apart, maybe sometimes no internet. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You are out of office constantly. And then what we realize is that it's, it's more effort for us to communicate or exchange knowledges that we've shared. And I think that becomes even harder when you cross the border. Um, so there's so much more effort that you need to make when you need to put mm -hmm. an effort in to just simply think through. Yeah, so thinking uh, is maybe it's something we take for granted, but it's actually something that you have to work on and maybe you have to put structures in place that's right otherwise it's it slips through it slips through all the other tasks exactly right? so and why yeah so that's the reason why that we try not to just do the thinking by ourselves but rather involve other people into the think process and make a project that we initiate and i think that seems like Can you give a, an example sure so, um, so we try to not to work for a single company as a client, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we usually try to initiate topics from our side rather than asking somebody to bring us requests. And right. this gives us a, some advantage because now from the point of the starting point, it's not exclusive to a certain company. So we will say, let's think about the future of ownership. Or let's think about how citizens can be involved in how the city will be in the future. And then right. people who are interested in our research work would be joining our program. And they can also give us good examples. We can also try to give our good examples. So we are so mutual in the thinking process and we all gain from that mutual contribution. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I've had these conversations also with um, clients who sort of find it hard to initiate new projects that are about innovation and about um, uh, things that haven't been proven yet. And I just said, you know, you need to um, uh, put out a challenge out there and sort of look for partnerships instead of trying to... Yeah, so... Yes. and. Um, what, what is your biggest insight related to praxis and actually have you found a way to make this work to, to balance the doing and thinking part a, a bit more? So I think it kind of relates to some of the other topics that I love to talk about after this. But if you think about coming up with the new ideas or new uh, ways to solve things that we would like to solve through design, in the end, what happens is that often we are breaking different silos that we have at the moment. So at yeah. the end of the project, if it's successful, whatever you do, most of the cases you're breaking silos, meaning you have to make a new connection. So why don't we make that connection from the beginning rather than trying to go 
as far as you can as a client and the agency, but rather try to connect everyone together. Mm. Mm. So that's how we approached uh, one of the first projects we did as a republic. Um, what's, uh, the client was the Fukuoka city government and also their directive council. We set up this studio called Fukuoka, it's an innovation studio Fukuoka, and uh, we tried to bring different people, uh, administrators, also some designers, um, creators. Some of them uh, were running uh, different public uh, organizations or nonprofits. So by the time we run the program, we already had this diverse community, which has completely different language and have almost hard time understanding, even if we're all Japanese. <laughs> so this worked quite nicely because already that community is breaking the silos anyways. Yeah, yeah. So the starting, like you said, the starting point is really different. That's right. Hmm. You, you hinted already upon the second topic. So let's move on into, into that. Sure. Uh, because your th second topic yes. is called community. And once again, interview Jess, a question starter. Okay, so what well, if? What if we can uh, establish community through the design process? What, what is your perspective on community? Maybe that's the question we should start with. So as soon as we started to work for uh, non-corporations, meaning often governments or uh, universities, what we realize this, um, right after we started the project is the budget limitation. And also, ultimately, who's actually paying for our projects? That was one of the questions I had on my mind. Right. And, you know, it's, it's basically somebody else's money. It's, if it's government, it's tax. And it's coming from the people that we're supposed to work for. So, uh, and usually the government, they have annual budget. So mm -hmm. regardless of how much time we think we need, we are hoping to leave something in the community or the government or the area that we are involved with. And the most important thing or the asset that we can leave, regardless of um, sort of like end point, um, I think we realize it is the community. And mm. to be more precise, it's the community of change. Often when you work for a different institutions, I think there's a really strong power, especially in Japan, maybe, yeah, uh, yeah. to not to change. So in order to really um, have this sense that it is okay to change, or there are other people in the society who thinks that there are different ways to do things. So um, we feel like breaking the silos, making a different community. You can also say perhaps ecosystem as well. Some people would say in yeah. that way. I think it's a critical asset that whatever we do, uh, we can leave as a sort of like a regional or local assets. I, I really like this because um, I've been having a lot of conversations about the deliverables of the design process, especially the service design process. Like we don't make stuff, we make stuff, but it's usually not the end result. And sure. um, now that you said it, I realized that in a lot of cases, we, we sort of, um, we haven't called it a community, but there's always a group of people who's leading yes. uh, the change. And uh that is actually a really good deliverable from a service design perspective, exactly. right? 
exactly. And motivated people, uh, engaged people. Um, I I haven't thought about that. That it could be framed as a as a deliverable of the service design practice, but it is. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So um, I think that's the part actually that service designer can actually contribute already in the beginning. Um, having mm. a bit of this, because always at the beginning of the process, some kind of a research takes place. And if you want to deliver a certain service which has a certain quality, every service designer would know that you have to conduct some research to understand yeah. who are the stakeholders, who are perhaps the hidden stakeholders, um, mm -hmm. and then to sort of drag those people out, maybe listen to them. And so you have already those um, points or dots. So all you need to do is to make the connection so that even if you disappear from that chain, um, everybody would somehow have an advantage over this network. Mm. Yeah. I think if we would be more conscious about the fact that we're building communities, we would be more deliberate about building these communities because... Uh, when I look at our projects, it's sort of like a byproduct in a lot of cases. It's sort of a necessity. And, um, but I think we would really take different actions if we realize upfront that the community part is really something that we want to leave behind, that it's that a really important part of the process. Definitely. So in a way, I think ultimately I, what we are challenging is that although perhaps um, we have the skills and knowledge about this process of service design, but ultimately what we're trying to ask is the whole community to be involved in that process. And perhaps in the end, it is not us to deliver, but them to practice or to take the same path with us. And perhaps mm. we're not the researcher, but they are the researcher. They are the designers. They are exactly. the Entrepreneurs. They, are the, they are the owners of the of the change, right? We can we can sort of initiate it, start it, uh, facilitate it, get it going, but eventually, for to make it sustainable, it should be owned by somebody else. Exactly. Hmm. What what is what what uh, is the thing that you still find the hardest in rela in relationship to building these communities or creating these communities? Mm. I think. One of the challenge is really whether this person can find the urge to change within them. Mm -hmm. it's, it's so ironic because in the end, you can do whatever you want. But somehow, we as human beings, once we choose to be in a certain society or organizations, uh, it's surprisingly you just let some of your passion or the vision or will uh, let go. So um, we, we talk about, it's funny, we often refer as a waste. <laughs> In Japan, we um, have um, burnables, non-burnables, <laughs> and um, we call some uh, individuals as burnables, meaning that if you maybe, or sometimes they just lit by themselves. They are fueled by themselves. <laughs> yeah. They are on fire yeah. all the time. And not yeah. everybody is a burnable type of people. But some people can be ignited and they can burn together. Some mm -hmm. people are completely non-burnable. So even if you go close, nothing happens. But right, I think right. as long as there's somebody who's maybe self-burning and 
the burnout of people around, I think it goes around. So probably the most crucial part is how can we make that first batch mm-hmm. so other people can be somehow involved in that process. Yeah. How do you find those people? How do you identify them? How do yes. you? Yeah. <laughs> really cool. Um I think it's time to move on to topic number three, and I think they all sort of relate uh, to each other. Definitely. So, um, bur- burnable people. That will be maybe that will be <laughs> the title of this episode. I'm really curious. <laughs> all right, topic number three is called reframing. I would say, why do we need to reframe? Hmm. And reframe what, Fumiko, to be precise? Um, so for us. Um, well, we most with most of the prefectures and the city governments that we are involved with, uh, we offer certain programs which involve the local citizens or perhaps uh, some of the entrepreneurs. So, and we go through this five or six months process so they can come up with new projects or new businesses. And um, along the way, we build this community so they would mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. Uh, some other supporting group of people. And what we realize uh, as the biggest challenge is that many people are so eager to come up with ideas. They want to jump, they do research, they say, oh, we met these cool people, and then we want to come up with the ideas right now. And we have to say, be patient. You have to make sure that you're not coming up with 100 solutions to 100 problems. What we really mm. need to think about is because everybody's time, resource, uh, energy is limited, we have to find out the reason behind all these hundred problems. Why we think um, this come appears in the current society. And then perhaps we should be aware of our existing perspective and how can we shift it so any idea that we can come afterwards are all effective and viable. Mm, mm. And to have to kind of uh, inform that not now, not yet, not the idea yet, <laughs> and then uh, try to preach the reframing process is quite hard. Yeah, I can, again, so relatable to what you're saying because um, People get inspired really quickly, and that's a good thing. But a lot of ideas are sort of reactive. We yes. see, we we have an observation, and we sort of immediately jump to the solution. Solution. Yes. And um, getting people to sort of take a step back and to uh, think about the root cause. Um, that, that I don't know what it takes, but uh, that's the like you said. That's that's a really challenging part, right? It is. It is. Because but everybody a, is in a rush. A, yeah. They feel like no, they need to come up with the idea so they feel safe. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah, I think we we need to be make we need to make sure that you have this fuzzy and quite the unnerving, like a really nervous moment. So you're kind of feeling stuck and frustrated, yeah. but you're on to yeah. something that you've never encountered before. I think a lot of people who are watching or listening right now sort of are smiling because this is so recognizable, that feeling like 
I, I have no idea where this is heading. Yes. Oh my God, this is going to be a disaster. Right. And, uh, and all the stakeholders are sort of rebelling and everybody is questioning uh, the project in general. Yes. And you sort of have to push through that phase because like you said, something something is brewing, something will emerge. I, I like to think about uh, service design and design maybe in general as an emergent practice. It, it You have to... You have to be busy. You have to be uh, working with the material. And then at some point, stuff starts to emerge. It seems out of nowhere, but it's not. It's never out of nowhere, right? No, no. What, what is your um, uh, trick or uh, preferred way to keep these people um, engaged in this, in this chaotic period? How do you keep them motivated and confident and... Right. Um, there's, I think, maybe a couple of tricks. But mm -hmm. one is, of course, to surround them by the people who have overcome that frustrative moments. So we never go freehand, meaning that we always have what we consider as mentors for any of those participants. We always have, say, five or six mentors, because depending on who... Uh, the challenge that they face and the solution that mentors or advices that uh, mentors can provide is different. Yeah. And they will somewhat show the way. And I think that's much stronger because um, where you're stuck can be very different depending on the person's skills and experiences. Mm. But to those people who have experienced that not just once, not just twice, but multiple times. We call them sometimes like a serial innovators. Mm -hmm. um, they, mm -hmm. they exactly know where these people are stuck with and yeah. can help yeah. to guide the way. So that's mm -hmm. one very strong, I, would, I wouldn't say motivation, but like uh, support that we can provide. Yeah. yeah, and it's a safety net, right? Exactly. And, uh, yeah. That, that's a really good thing to, to sort of give people uh, trust and uh, somebody that says it will be all right. <laughs> Don't worry. Exactly. Just, we need to just keep going. Um, and it's quite amazing um, because we have so many people who has done this. Um, some people came up with the really amazing products from some companies. Uh, it could be services they're actually working on something and they also share their experience and knowledge about the market. Uh, it, the advice can be many different ways, but I think most important advice that they can give is really about trusting what they feel right now, like feeling yeah. important rather than the company said you should pursue this, um, say, AI or IoT or all these buzzwords around technology. It's so much powerful mm. and it almost transformed the person. Uh, so when that happens, we feel pretty um, assured. Yeah, and you, you, you hinted about something really important, I think, uh, with, uh, which is you know, we often say trust the process, right? But it, it's also just as important to trust yourself. That's right. right. That's what you're and I think that's sort of really undervalued um, in the current design community, right? Trust the process. Yes, that is true. If you go through the process, good things will happen. But you, in the process, you also need to sort of trust your instinct, trust your gut, uh, build upon your experiences that you have, and sort of don't let that, don't push that away and ignore that because usually that gives 
really good hints about if you're doing the right thing. Right. So I would say that without the trust to yourself, screw the process. Yeah, yeah, that's my, that's true, that's true. Because we offer um, the same program to everyone. But whoever makes it or doesn't make it, or the some people who need more support, often is less self-confident. That's it. That's it. That, that yeah, yeah. And maybe that maybe we should have some specific activities to sort of give people regain their confidence uh, in 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 themselves that they are doing the good thing and be able to listen to that. Right. That's a, that's a really good thing. Fumigo. Um, you get the opportunity right now to sort of ask us, the service design community who's watching or listening to the show, a question. Is there a thing you'd like us to think about to crush our brains, crunch our brains on, not crush our brains? <laughs> yes, but um, the very, I'm coming back to the very first topic that we've already discussed, which is really about the praxis. How do everybody think? and do because especially if you're constantly um, put outputting um, what you studied and doing ideas and executing it um, you feel like you drain <laughs> you, yeah. you need yeah. a new input um, so that cycle is really a healthy cycle that everyone should have especially when the world demands so much of us um, so it, it would be really wonderful to hear if anybody has their own stories about thinking and doing and how they switch between the two. I would love to know yes. more. So, so uh, that's the question, right? It's not uh, specifically how, how you think, but how do you balance that? That's right. How do you make sure that you, next to doing, yes. you also find the time to think about the things that you're doing, right? That's right. What are some... Methods, tricks, hacks uh, that people use to, to make sure that they are not just like robots, but they are consciously doing the things that they are doing. doing. Yes. Is that, is, that, is that the question? You've nailed it, yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to understand so that I can comment on it. <laughs> Fumiko, uh, it was really great to listen to what you have to say to get your perspective. I think you were... Some really uh, gold insights here in this episode. Time flies by, but we I think we gave so much value. So thanks again for, for sharing what's on your mind these days. Well, thank you for hosting this, and I really admire work. Thanks. Thank you. So we're almost at the end of this episode. One last time, I really want to thank you for listening and being here with me in 2018 and I hope that you'll stick around for 2019 and that you'll even help to spread the word about what we're doing here and if you enjoyed this episode just share it with someone who might benefit from it too and if you're looking for even more content don't forget that you can find that on our YouTube channel thanks again for listening to the service design show I'm really humbled to have you here I hope you enjoyed this episode have a great day and I'll catch you in two weeks time with a brand new episode. See you then.